This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's the Now News Panel on AMI. I'm Dave Brown, joined by Michelle McQuig and Joita Gupta. Let's address our next topic. Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie wants Canadian businesses to take a cautious approach of working with China. Jolie notes the risks that go along with dealings abroad. What I would like to say to Canadians doing business in and with China, you need to be clear-eyed. The decision you take as business people are your own. Jolie says that areas like human rights mark a departure from Canadian standards. China is an increasingly disruptive global power. It seeks to shape the global environment into one that is more permissive for interests and values that increasingly depart from ours. Jolie will be unveiling Canada's Indo-Pacific strategy by the end of this year. And of course, as we talked about at the top of the show today, the Prime Minister is off to Southeast Asia for a number of meetings related to deepening economic ties with the region as well. Michelle, this press conference and this story jumped out to you. Why? Because this is actually quite a radical departure for the federal government. When I saw this headline, I said, am I reading this correctly? If you think back to the time when... Michael Kovrick and Michael Spavor were in prison in China for three years plus. Uh, Canada had a very, very cautious tone. They were very careful not to antagonize China. There was a long, long stretch where we weren't sure what role, if any, Huawei was going to have in our 5G network here because there was no commitment in terms of how that would look or if that was going to be allowed to go forward. And now all of a sudden we're hearing much, much harder messaging, even though to my knowledge, and please correct me if I've missed something, but I don't think anything significant has changed in China in terms of uh, activities going on there. Certainly leadership has not changed. Uh, All the human rights concerns that were being pushed against the federal government during their time of relative passivity are still in play. So I don't really know what exactly shifted, but the government certainly seems to have gotten a different kind of memo and is going in a different direction in a, at a time when, as you've noted, <laughs> there's, we have a lot going on in terms of supply chain issues, uh, in terms of economic unrest and unsettlement around the world. It seems to me like it's going to be difficult to limit ties with China in the current economic context. But Given all of this, I figured we'd have a few things to sink our teeth mm-hmm, into. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if I can take a whirl at your question of what may Absolutely. have changed, there's there's two things that I would say are notable. Number one is China has very much sat on the sidelines, or at least certainly not been part of the mm-hmm. American and European movement in, regor- in regards to Russia's war in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Uh, very to, true. to say yeah. that they're affiliated with Russia would be a little too far, but they're still buying a lot of Russian oil and gas. They're certainly still sending some supplies to Russia. They definitely have not been part of the broader sanctions that we've seen. And I'm not going to use the word the West because I hate that expression, but that Europe and North America have really uh, spearheaded with many other allies around the world 
two. So that's one thing. The other thing that's changed is Xi Jinping, their president, was reaffirmed recently mm-hmm. to say that this mm-hmm. this is going to be the person who will continue to be at the helm here, even though it was thought that perhaps his term was coming to an end. And there has been some cracking down on dissidents inside the party. Again, that's getting like really deep into geopolitics. But I do wonder if there's some apprehension about about more authoritarian, I mean, it's always been pretty authoritarian, but an even deeper authoritarian move inside that country. So I do wonder if that has something to do with it. But I'll say all of that with saying this kind of rhetoric makes me like deeply uncomfortable. I believe in multilateral relationships internationally, and I'm never quite comfortable with the idea of cutting countries out or creating countries and calling them sort of boogeymen. And that's essentially what that press conference was. It was calling China a giant boogeyman. Uh, But before I ramble too far, Juita, I want to give you an opportunity to weigh in on this as well. Um, I think the other thing to keep in mind, especially when Michelle talked about the two Michaels, is that it is often the case that when you have um, citizens of one country held in custody in another country, that you try to approach, I think, those situations with more delicacy and diplomacy. Um, It's really not the strategy in that situation is really not to be aggressive um, because you don't know, because you have you have the lives of people hanging in the balance. As the prime minister put it in a debate uh, a couple of years ago, you don't lob tomatoes across the Pacific. Yeah. So I think that was the <laughs> other thing. I think uh, what this is strategy is doing now, though, is it's uh, A, doing something that I think the business community has long sought some guidance mm-hmm. from the federal government in terms of actually having an Indo-Pacific strategy. Um, it, there, you know, and, But it is also, as you pointed out, Dave, responding to... Um, the confirmation of Xi Jinping um, and the fact that things are looking like they're getting to be more authoritarian in China. So I think there's a couple of things here to unravel, and I look forward to talking to both of you about them. Uh, So, Juita, I'm going to stay with you here. Mm -hmm. Your reaction to the idea that Melanie Jolie is already telling people and businesses to at least soften their relationships or be cautious with their relationships even before the strategy is released? Yeah, I mean, I think what this is doing is um, anticipating the strategy to a certain extent. Yep. It's saying that, um, you know, you try to limit your interactions with China. I think it's if it's absurd to suggest that we can't have any dealings with China at all because they are the oh, world's... Oh, it's impossible. Yeah, it's yeah. Impossible. Second, largest, yeah. second largest economy. It's also Canada's second largest trading partner. Yeah, that's not going to happen. But they're just saying keep your eyes open, be cautious. And they're also saying... Uh, that you might want to try to reduce economic ties with China, but also increase trade relationships with other countries. I know they've talked about India being one of them. Uh, I think it is more so a recognition that Canada is becoming less open, more authoritarian, and from the business point of view, less reliable from a legal and commercial policy framework. So if you're doing business in a country and something goes awry, you want to know or have the confidence to know that you would be able to access the courts in that in in the country where you're conducting business mm. and you'll be subject mm-hmm. to the rule of law and i think now the sentiment is we can't guarantee that Canadian businessmen or business owners will get access to a guaranteed rule of law in China because their legal system is becoming more authoritarian and we don't 
we can't guarantee that the outcomes you get will be the outcomes you expect. So I think that's really uh, what's happening here. It is largely anticipating the strategy, which will be announced in a few weeks. And as I said, it's trying to balance the fact that China is becoming more aggressive and authoritarian with the reality that you can't really cut China out of the equation at all. Mm. Michelle, Joita is right to suggest that, in my opinion, Joita is right to suggest that this seems like perhaps a bit of a primer ahead of the strategy, saying don't be Absolutely. surprised when we release the strategy in a few weeks. But what do you make of the caution, sort of the, the, the flare being sent up for the strategies even released? Yeah, I agree. I think it is not only laying a bit of groundwork and being a bit of a teaser for the strategy itself, which has been long awaited. Uh, in fact, I believe it was promised a couple of mandates ago. Uh, so that this is it, it's a bit of a carrot to dangle, but I think it also does a little bit of table setting for this trip coming up. Uh, the, the Prime Minister is in transit as we speak. He's going to be spending quite a bit of time in the region over the next few days in some pretty big high-level meetings. And I, I think this is also just a, a little bit of a, um, a flare is a good word that you use there uh, ahead of those meetings to signal maybe a bit of a direction change from Canada. I'm not, again, we, we don't have seats in those rooms where those meetings take place. So I don't know how much of a shift it will represent for those who have been there before and interacted with Canada in that context before. Uh, but I do think this might be a bit of a signal of what lies ahead for those meetings. Um, and also some of the areas of focus that were, were flagged there were interesting. We, there was a lot of talk, of course, about economic ties and the business community did welcome that guidance. Uh, but there was also discussion about how to engage with China on, on files like climate change. Uh, it's time to raise concerns about China's human rights record, even as it touted uh, potential trade with other governments who also have some uh, practices that have drawn international attention on the human rights front. Uh, so I think it's it's maybe just a bit of a blueprint for where Canada stands on this right now. So during the course of this press conference, uh, Minister Jolie talked about the possibility of saying, yeah, we're going to develop deepened relationships with other major trading partners. And Joita, you said India, and that was definitely the golden goose that seems to get trotted forward a lot over the course of the last decade. We're going to deepen our trade relationships with India, the, the second biggest country in the world that could be a, a huge emerging economy and could be a massive trading partner. But to this point, Canada has yet to really establish substantial trading deals with India. Joita, what do you make of sort of India being held up as this golden goose alternative. Yeah, I mean... Um, if you were to speak to some analysts or commentators, they would point out that India has its problems too. It is the world's largest democracy, but there are some severe problems. And uh, mm -hmm. a lot of people would argue that India is, in fact, less democratic today than it was 10 years ago. We've seen under Narendra Modi the repression of minorities, a rise in Hindu fundamentalism. So India is not a panacea. But um, if you understand, if you if you read between the lines, of what Melanie Jolie is saying in anticipation of the strategy, it's really an invitation for Canadian businesses to diversify trade, and I think that's where um, India becomes really attractive because the economy has grown rapidly in the last ten to fifteen years. Uh, there are several un. Um, there's a lot of there's an untapped market. There's a lot of economic opportunity there for Canadian businesses. There's this trade market that hasn't really been tapped into, and we're talking about the world's second largest population. As things stand, it's the sixth fastest growing economy in the world. Um, it's supposed to become the world's third largest economy by 2030. So I think what's really what's really motivating 
uh, closer relationships with India maybe has less to do with their track record as a democracy, although, of course, that's how it's being sold, but has a lot more to do with the with the economic opportunities that have remained unrealized up to this point. Yeah, I'm also a little uncomfortable with the framing of, like, it's the it, the, the democracy side. We're only going to do trade with democracies. It, it, there, there, there'd be a lot of uh, push and pull if we were trying to sort of play that game more broadly. But, Joita, you're right. It, the fact is it's the second biggest country in the world. Um, we've seen since the war in Ukraine started, there have been some energy issues in India to the point they had to make some really hard decisions about the import of Russian oil and gas. So I'm sure there's plenty of Canadian energy producers who see that as a huge opportunity as well. Michelle, what do you make of sort of India being cast as the stalking horse in this situation? I, I really feel Joita captured it perfectly. I, there, I felt uh, that raised my eyebrows a little bit given the concerns about human rights that have been raised about um, Oh no! Did we lose Michelle? I think we lost I think Michelle. We, I think we lost Michelle, but um, but I think I think I think she was definitely going to be on board with us there. And what in regard to what you were saying, uh, Joita? Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day, at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI TV. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.